G'day and welcome to the Pursuit of Freedom podcast. I'm your host, Rosie Burrows, and I'm on a journey to find my freedom so that I can help you do exactly the same. Join me each week as I share the stories of everyday people who have found their own path to freedom. I'm not going to focus on job titles and accolades because I don't care about that stuff and neither should you. I want to uncover what truly makes you tick. Who are you when you step away from society's expectations and follow your heart? I still haven't figured it out yet. Have you? Either way, buckle up because it's going to be one hell of a ride. Joining me today is Tati Petkovic. She's really passionate about sharing a transformative perspective to heal the world. And I can't wait to dive in more to that in terms of job title. Um, Tati, you're a, a brand strategist, an astrologer, and a creative director. Welcome. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Yeah, same. And in the words of Julie Andrews or Maria von Trapp, Let's start at the very beginning. What was life like as younger Tati? What were your dreams, your desires? What brought you joy? And I know, you know, when you were young, you lost your dad as well. And I'd love to hear, you know, that journey and what you went through as a child. Yes, for sure. So I would say what brought me joy was art. I loved, Mm. loved to create. and. That was something that, I don't know, just lit me up. Mm-hmm. So it was just like very simple things like markers, crayons, whatever it was. But the ability to draw was magical to me. And I loved so many different art forms in that way. And my dad had a huge part in that. He was an artist. He was a poet. And for me, he was always encouraging me to draw, to paint. He would get so excited about my work. He would, (laughs) it'd be really cute because it it was just like, you know, kids, kids drawings, but he was so elated by what I would create that I was like amazed by his amazement, you know? And that was such a beautiful connection to me because when I was about 11, he passed away unexpectedly. Mm. And this was a huge shock to my Mm. system. There was a lot of, like my family's relationship was very complicated. So Mm -hmm. he wasn't living in my house during that time. He was on his own and my parents were separated at that time. And I honestly did not accept his death for years, for years, because a part of me felt like, no, I could still feel his energy. Like he's still around. He's going to come back. He wouldn't leave me. He's, he's going to come back. And I think it was such a challenging childhood when I didn't really understand why he wasn't there Mm -hmm. so I think when you lose a parent at such a young age it can be quite devastating it's my whole identity shifted because I no longer saw myself the same way like I didn't have that joy 
anymore. And I was like, oh my goodness, someone can't love me in the same way. And it took a really, really long time for me to to heal. And that, that, that was a journey that was decades of healing. I'm still healing now, but it, it's this process where I feel so much more peace and joy now. And I I know you've also lost your mom and I'd love to hear your experience on that because it's honestly not talk about not talked about in terms of the grief and how much it can weigh on you. Grief is so difficult, isn't it? I mean, that's an understatement. Um, but I you know, I like that you said you're still healing. So am I, you know. Um our stories are different, but you know, I've lost both parents now and it was within the space of maybe seven years and it is devastating and it does bring into question your identity as a person and I think it's taken a lot of inner work and just confronting really difficult feelings to continuously work through that. It's not a a one and done type thing. Um and similar to you, you know, when my dad died, it was really unexpected. And for me, I was 21, but my sister was the same age as you. She was 11. And, you know, I'd be interested to hear your thoughts on what grief feels like as an 11 year old. You know, you did touch on it and that you didn't quite understand what death was. And, um, you know, you, you thought he would come back. Um, but is is there anything else you'd like to add to that in terms of your understanding of grief as an 11-year-old compared to you today? I honestly felt like when it, it hits you at such a young age, I do feel like it's difficult no matter what age, though. I want to validate that in terms mm-hmm. of your experience because it's still shocking whenever mm-hmm. that happens. but. I would say for me, I was really, really depressed as a kid and I was trying to hide it the best I could. I was really trying to fight a lot of anxiety, a lot of my emotions. And Mm -hmm. I was a very sensitive kid. I'm still sensitive now and I see that as a superpower right now, but Mm -hmm. at that time, I was very emotional and I didn't know how to self-soothe myself. I didn't know how to comfort myself because I didn't know how to cope. And the best I could do at that time was to kind of get lost in academia and really, I, I don't know, I was a perfectionist. I was always trying to get straight A's and that was the only validation I was getting at that time that kind of seemed like love, like, right. but it wasn't the same. It was like me chasing, mm-hmm. okay, if I get straight A's, then, you know, I'd get more love or, or sympathy for my mom. And mm-hmm. she sh- shows like love in a different way. Like I, like I love her so, so, so much and I'm so grateful for her, but she shows her love through a completely different way than my father. So it was kind of different like I I wanted her to express it in one way but I wasn't receiving it so it was just this difficult 
thing where honestly I was at a point where I was really contemplating unaliving myself and that's really scary to admit but it was a very dark time and what kind of got me through that period was kind of affirmations like really telling myself hey it's gonna get better when you're older it's gonna get better when you're older and I would repeat this over and over and over to myself and I mean it it did get better when I was older so it, it did get me through it which I think is so powerful which I feel like some people I hope that they're doing for themselves like in whatever way that they can reaching out to help um I did go to therapy for a bit but at that time I wasn't ready for it because I didn't right. accept his death so mm-hmm. yeah it's just been a mix of things in in that way but I know it must have affected you differently but still as painful and like jarring mm, it's and it's a messy journey right and I I often liken grief to the ocean I think you know when dad died and in I don't even know the time period maybe for the first six to 12 months it's just like these waves are coming in constantly and I'm trying to come up for air, but it's just crashing down. The grief is so powerful mm. and so overwhelming. But over time what I've found is that the waves space out a little bit. So you've got a bit of time to, you know, catch your breath. And also, I mean, there's still huge waves that just dunk you, right? But I think I've got better at spotting I don't think red flags is the right word but just spotting and being aware of some of my triggers you know I know for um for mum she loved lavender and this the skin creams she used had a particular smell and if I go past someone who's who has the same smell I just I go to pieces right and initially I didn't know what was going on I'm like why am I so emotional and getting agitated and what's happening and it took me a while to make that link and similar for dad he was a carpenter so if I smell this is probably going to sound really odd but if I smell wood shavings there's a particular smell it just takes me right back and I just imagine myself as a little girl with dad so I've become better I think at being aware of my triggers but and I'm sure you relate to this grief hits at the strangest times and you're not always going to see it coming and you just you just have to roll with it, right? And sometimes I'm not very good at coping with it, but I'd like to think that I'm a bit better now at recognizing it and talking about it, you know? Like I'm able to talk about it now without falling to pieces, um, whereas I think, you know, closer to dad's death and, and the time of mum's death, like it's hard to do. And I always say to people, you're never ready to lose a parent. You know, with dad, it was unexpected, but with mum, she had a terminal diagnosis. So I knew it was coming. And I remember when I found out she had a brain tumor, I said to a coworker, because I was at work at the time, I was, I'd burst into tears. I said, I'm not ready to lose my mum. And my coworker was a lot older and she said, Rosie, we're never ready. And that's always stuck with me um 
because you're not, even if you know it's coming, you're never ready for that. It's, it is life-changing and devastating. So it's really hard. And another thing I want to say is there's no right or wrong way to grieve. And the journey is going to be messy. Um, you might go off the path a bit and, you know, people will be thinking, oh my gosh, like, what are you doing? You're just not coping. But for anyone grieving, there's, there's no right or wrong way. You just do whatever, whatever you can. And if that means like for you, you weren't ready for therapy straight away. And that was, that was just the right thing for you. That's how you dealt with it. That was your journey. I remember I went to a grief counsellor and she drew this diagram on the board about the different stages of grief and it was just really clinical and I'm like, what are you doing? <laughs> like, So that kind of therapy didn't work for me either. What I've found has worked is just talking to people who are connected with my dad or people I'm close with who maybe didn't know my dad and sharing the stories. Like he shared that your dad was an artist. He was a poet and I love that. Um in fact, my dad was an artist too, which is amazing. You know, we have that in common. He wasn't a poet, but he he um, did a lot of sculptures and paintings. Like I've got hundreds of paintings in, um, they can't all be in my house. I don't have a palace, right? But a lot of them are in, in storage and it's just, it's so special, right? Um, hanging on to those things. And it's nice to have those fond memories to look back on. Um, yeah. And I can't even remember what your initial question was, but that's that's kind of that's been my journey, and it's tough. And I know the journey for my sister has been totally different. Like she, I think, um, is in a different place in in dealing with grief than I am. But we're able to talk about it more now, because you know when she's eleven and I'm twenty one, there's quite a quite a gap, right? But now she's twenty one. <laughs> I'm 31, so she's an adult now, and we're able to have those deeper conversations, which has been amazing. I think it's brought us closer. So that's something really nice that came out of a such a horrible, horrible event, really. Um, yeah, and I mean, how would you say you deal with grief today? What's that look like? That's a great question. I feel like it's been such a process for me, and... It's back in my high school years or my undergrad, I would say I didn't really deal with it well in my high school years, but that was more of me watching movies or re-watching the same movie because it was comforting or certain things where I would try to hang out with friends because it was the only way I could I don't know escape in some form and it was very helpful I think we all need community and connection yeah and but it it still it still felt kind of weird because they hadn't experienced that at all and it wasn't something I talked about at all so that was quite difficult and then when I went into my undergrad I would say it was more so through my creation. I studied graphic design and even though it wasn't 
art necessarily. It was still very artistic. So Mm. that kind of helped me in terms of that process. And I actually did my thesis on grief and mourning and loss. And I really looked through old photos and then I recaptured those photos and then I re reframed those photos and then I started to write and then I started to create this installation piece on my dad and wow it was very healing it was very painful to actually create but it was such a healing process for myself where I was crying while I was making it most of the time, but it was yeah. helping me in, in mm-hmm. some form. And it was like, okay, I have all these mementos. As you said, you had, you have your dad's sculptures and art pieces. And for me, I had these photos and I had some videos and I was like, okay, I'm going to edit these. I'm going to create something where people can talk about grief and loss um, and I had a gallery exhibition for this and people would come and they would feel it. They would feel, wow. okay, there's something more here. There's something we can't see. And that was such an experience for me where at that time, that was the best way I was coping with my grief, but mm-hmm. I didn't know the full extent even at that time. So mm. after that, I was more ready to go to therapy. I was really looking into resources. I had that through my undergrad for a few years, but it was more counseling, not therapy. And there was a quite a big difference because we didn't go through very deep, deep topics mm. and mm. like getting to the root of the surface. And then when I finally went into my master's program, which was a few years after, that's when I had the ability for free therapy in Canada. And then I was also doing my master's thesis on death and grief and mourning, but through phenomenology and how the space affects the viewer, how you can still feel loss through environments, through homes, through where you grew up. So Mm. it was very philosophical and my morning process was okay I'm gonna study this but that was also very painful because I'm like oh my gosh this was heavy yeah I had to bring up all these feelings and then I was also going to therapy at that time and that was the first time in therapy at like the age of 25 26 when they they finally told me hey you just suffered from a lot of trauma growing up yeah and I <laughs> I honestly was like feeling the energy of just glass shattering because I was so shocked by this. I didn't understand what trauma was. I thought it was Mm -hmm. very extreme. But then when I started to understand, no, how are you coping? And it, it was just this interesting way where I was like, oh my gosh, someone finally told me what I've been through and what the label for it was and that was extremely helpful so for me it's been a journey and process and then now my grief my morning grieving process after a few years of therapy which was super helpful I found astrology and astrology was Mm. super healing for me it was this 
tool where I could understand, okay, there's a greater purpose to everything. This had to happen for a reason, or it felt as though this was part of my story and Mm. I can help others in some form to heal through their story and to heal, to know that they're not alone in this Mm -hmm. process or this space and then I also have done so many other healing modalities. So like EFT tapping, I've done meditation for years. I've done journaling mm-hmm. for years. It's mm-hmm. It's been so much of a process, but it's been painful and uncomfortable and messy. And mm-hmm. uh, it's it's been a lot. So yeah, <laughs> I, I'd love to hear your process as well. Yeah, I'd just like to say what an amazing journey and how powerful that you found a way to help yourself heal through your studies like that's not something that I experienced and it just sounds yes very painful but also extremely transformative and you were able to share it with people and form connection with others which I think is so beautiful in terms of you know how I grieve and mourn today I think I'm quite a sentimental person so I really like to I'll go through old photographs and just remember, you know, a point in time with my parents and it, it'll often make me cry, but it's, you can't avoid that. Like grieving and mourning is painful and that's never going to change. I don't think at any stage it's not going to be painful, but that's something I really enjoy doing, looking back at memories and photos And I like to share them with people and talk about my parents. Like, look, you know, my mum started drumming. I think she was 57 and she started to learn the drums and was in a band. Like how badass is that? You know, so that's something I share with people, Um, you know, and dad was musical too, actually. He learned the double bass in his 40s and and also sort of was in a a band with friends, which was really cool. so that's stuff I like looking back on. And another thing I'd like to bring up, I think it's very easy sometimes to look at those we've lost through rose-coloured glasses, but there's they're not so nice stuff too. And I think it's important to just acknowledge that as well. We're all human. Nobody's perfect. And, you know, I don't think we should dwell on the bad, bad things or things we didn't like so much, but it's it's part of it. It's part of their memory. And I think it, it's a disservice to ignore that. So that's something I just want to bring up. You know, you mentioned before you lost your dad so young and not many people have been through that at that age. And even for me, a decade on from you, people at my age hadn't lost a parent, at least not in my circle. And it was really lonely you know, and I just remember so many times that be bitching and moaning about their parents and, oh, you know, they wouldn't drive me to the shops. And I'm thinking, wow, you know, that's so trivial. And I wouldn't say it out loud, but it would just, it would actually make me angry, which is hard. You know, I can't expect someone who hasn't dealt with a loss like that to possibly understand what I've been through. And they're not trying to be insensitive. But, you know, it was hurtful when people say stuff or even when people say things like, oh, I could have died. You know, I almost died. It was just so bad. And I think, (laughs) really? And over time, I think I've become less sensitive to those things because 
I've found that it's too hard to take all of that to heart. Like I just can't carry that. So I try to lead with empathy, really. And those I'm really close to, I'll share with them. Actually, I found that really triggering. And, you know, can you be mindful that you, when you're around me, maybe, you know, be a bit more thoughtful with your words. And that's been something that's really hard, or I've found really hard to do. But also um, it's been a bit of a game changer. And I have friends now who will say, you know, if they're sending me a message and it might be to do with death or a traumatic event, they'll say, Rosie, just a trigger warning, you know. And I find that so helpful because if I'm in a bit of a bad place, I'm like, okay, I'm going to read that later. Like I, I'm not in a space for it. So I really um, appreciate that from people. Um, but, yeah, my my morning looks very different now to to what it did. It was a lot more difficult to talk about mum and dad at the at the the closer times to their death. And I remember with mum, you know, she was a single mom after dad died, right? And people would say things like, oh, you just need to move on. And, you know, I remember someone quite close to our family actually saying to me, this was when mum was, was dying and, and in her last week, she's like, yeah, your mum never really got over Steve, did she? Steve was my dad. I just sort of thought, what? You don't get over people, you know. Um, so that kind of made me get a bit defensive. And I, I didn't say anything at the time, but I think, you know, for those of you listening who haven't experienced the loss of a, a close loved one, be mindful of that. And Tati, I'd be really interested to hear your thoughts on this whole concept of moving on. I don't think that's a thing. I haven't moved on from my parents dying. I think I'm moving forward and learning how to carry that grief with me. It is such a big part of who I am. And at times in my life, I've tried to shut out that grief, compartmentalize it, and just try to live my life as if that's not part of me. And it it never works well. Like I, I think acknowledging your grief and carrying it is important. You can't dismiss that. And I really don't believe in the notion of moving on. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I'm so happy you brought that up because I completely agree. There's, it's part of our story now. And mm. I think it's a different energy completely. Like I see that as moving forward with a new identity mm. with feeling their energy within myself like i i know my dad's energy is with me in some form mm -hmm. and i see him within myself in these ways and i get all these beautiful messages from the universe in terms of he's with me in some small signs and that has given me so much joy but it's it's interesting you said that because I remember after my master's thesis on death and grief and mourning I got very triggered because one of my professors who I respected so much who was one of my advisors for my thesis he was like maybe you should do something different now or maybe you should, like, he kind of said the same thing, like, maybe you should move on in, in a certain way. And I think that was 
I don't know. It hurt me so much because I'm like, yeah. this is important. You, like, yeah. this, this is so, it was, yeah, this horrible feeling where I'm like, am I making him uncomfortable with this? Or like, right. what's right. going on? Like, I was mm-hmm. so shocked because he agreed to be an advisor to me. So it was just a very strange thing for me and it took me a while to realize okay I can still I still want to talk about it I still want to do something with my grief and mourning and my research and helping others through this process but it doesn't have to look the same every time right but yeah I just feel I totally agree if you don't experience it it can be so jarring to have a conversation with someone and they bring something up and you, they don't know how triggering or upsetting it can mm-hmm. be because mm-hmm. it's as though you're not seeing their pain. You're not seeing right. what they've experienced because they, they don't even know the extent to it. Right. And how could they possibly? Um, and that's something I've found really hard, actually vocalising with people actually that really hurt my feelings and that was triggering. You know, is this a conversation you are comfortable having with people? Is it a conversation that you have a lot? I'd, yeah, I'd like to know how that, what that experience is like for you. It's interesting. I feel like I haven't had that conversation just yet. Like I haven't, it's, it's been interesting. Like, yeah, I haven't actually had that conversation with many people. And mm. I think it's mainly because I don't speak about death and mourning to the people around me as much as I do online and like connecting right. through with others online. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. usually the people I've told like about my grief and loss, they, they've been very comforting or they don't know what to say and that's totally okay for me too because I also don't know what to say as well when someone else loses someone because absolutely it's like what do you say in that situation Mm, yeah I and I love you brought that up um because how do you know what to say even you know like I'm the same as you I don't know what to say when someone's lost a loved one you know I I was in that situation recently um, a close friend's partner uh, lost their father really suddenly. And whilst I wasn't close to him, I thought, I, I want to send him a message. Um, and it took me a while to go, what am I going to send? And I think if anyone's unsure, the biggest advice I can give is don't try to fix it. You cannot fix this. You cannot make the person feel better. Just acknowledge their pain. And be there to listen. I think that's the biggest thing. I don't sugarcoat it, you know. Um, everybody has a different view on this, but I, I'll be honest in this. Some people, in fact, I remember I, I um, got a phone call from a close family friend the day mum died. And they, I hadn't told them yet. It had only been a few hours. And I told her on the phone and she said, oh, she's in a better place now. Um, and I know that's an important 
belief for some people. But for me, I kind of found that hurtful and I thought, oh, you know, and I didn't say anything because I don't want to make someone else feel uncomfortable or invalidate their beliefs, their spiritual beliefs. But um, I just caution, be careful with that, you know, um, if you're not sure <laughs> what that person's beliefs are, right? So I, I think the biggest thing is just just be there and hold space for the person. You know, I found it so healing to just sit with someone and they just listen to me. I didn't even have to say anything. I find that so healing um, and they can't fix it. I don't need them to say it'll get better, it's okay. I don't need them to say any of that. No, I just want them to hold space for me. Um, that's my biggest thing. But I find it interesting that, you, you know, you haven't had that conversation about certain things being triggering to a lot of people. Uh, I haven't either because it is uncomfortable, that conversation. You're being very vulnerable um, when you share that with someone. I really want to unpack your journey of, I guess you could call it your transition to adulthood and your thoughts on the nine to five, because for me, just the phrase nine to five makes my skin crawl. <laughs> <laughs> no judgment, but to people who love the nine to five, but oh, for me, I just, I can't stand it. And I find it so limiting as someone who's creative and, and just needs to express myself. I find it, it, it just cages me in. So Tell me about that journey. You know, I know you've mentioned you did your undergrad in graphic design and you did your master's as well and did really meaningful work. But what was it like finding your path? You know, today you're a brand strategist and astrologer, but there's not an immediately obvious connection between the study you did. So talk us through that journey. Yes, for sure. So, oof, okay. <laughs> this is already heavy. It's I did a lot of internships when I was in my undergrad. I was mm -hmm. so afraid of not getting a job or finding work because mm. professors would scare us a bit in a way right. of like, you need to step it up. You need to like go the extra mile. And for me, I took that very seriously mm -hmm. and I had a few internships, but one that I had which was my first full-time internship this was for two months in the summer and I took an extra year for my undergrad so this was after my fourth year I had this internship and I went in and I'm like oh my goodness I can't believe people do this <laughs> every day <laughs> I was so shocked mm. by this because I'm like this feels so restrictive. This feels mm. so depressing. I right. And I loved what I did. I loved design. Mm -hmm. So for me, I felt so uncomfortable. I was like, okay, what do I do? And at that time, I had this panic. And I'm like, what if I chose wrong? Maybe I wasn't supposed to do this. Like, mm. that was the panic I, I felt because I'm like, what? I can't do this. <laughs> this mm -hmm, is too much mm -hmm. for me. And I would say m most of the day, I I did do a lot of work most of the day. But there were some periods where they're like, take your time. 
don't no rush and I'm like oh can I just go for a walk then like I just I yeah. can't even you know but I didn't ask that because I was like an mm. intern so I didn't want to like, yeah. say anything so after that experience I went to do my fifth year in my undergrad and I think I took it much more seriously because I'm like okay well if I have to do this I'm gonna do it the best to my ability and mm. after that I had about one more internship after I graduated and this was such an awful place to work it was honestly very it it, it was just it was overwhelming and I was an intern again but I had more experience than most of the interns there so right it was actually I had more experience than the junior designers there wow so that was a very strange thing because I had this weird power dynamic challenge with the head of the studio and Mm. I just felt very manipulated in some form and I just felt like my gut was telling me don't do this don't do this don't do this but I was like I need the money I need to I need to make I need to do something so I was only there for I would say two months and Mm -hmm. I ended up quitting because I was at a point where I felt so undervalued for what I was doing. Mm. And um, actually, I I was ending my internship. So technically, I didn't quit. I just didn't want to stay on as a junior designer. So (laughs) being a bit harsh there with my words, but (laughs) I just had this conflict with him. He was trying to negotiate my salary. It was like, Mm. basically, like, I don't know, $15 an hour for a junior designer rate. And it was just too low for me. And I was just like, I can't, I can't do this. And um, it, I didn't end well, like that did not end well. So after that, I looked for another job. It was another nine to five job. And that job was worse than this other job. And this was another nine to five. It was a honestly soul crushing place because Mm -hmm. it was a husband wife couple who would yell at me in front of me who would argue about me in front of me and it was the most terrifying experience I've had I only lasted about one month Mm. and finally I remember just walking in and just giving my two weeks notice and they're like Mm -hmm. give me your key and leave and it's just right it was shocking it was just like and I kept thinking what is wrong with me what what why can't I do this why can't I just do a nine to five why do I keep getting stuck in these situations this is later on I realized why because of my birth chart which we can get into later but I was Mm. like okay my birth chart was very very validating into this experience and then I finally after that, I was like, I'd rather work anywhere, like McDonald's. I don't I don't care where than this studio. So I had to make a change. Luckily, I really believed that the universe had my back at that time. And the day I quit, I went back to my old university and I got offered a job as a TA on the spot, wow. which was amazing. It mm-hmm. It honestly helped me so much. But it honestly was a journey and it took a few months to get that TA position so I just kind of fell into freelancing it was something that 
I had commitment issues now with going to nine to five after yeah. these situations. Mm-hmm. And I I just felt like, okay, I can't, I can't commit to a contract now because I just don't know what I'm going to get. I just don't know mm-hmm. who the people are going to be. And this kind of really told me, okay, I I'm going to do this for a few years. Maybe I want to teach after, maybe I should teach at a university because mm-hmm. I was teeing at that time. I did enjoy it. Mm -hmm. But then I decided, okay, let's see. Maybe I'll just get my master's degree in digital media. Mm. I spent a few years researching that. And then I finally um, went in to do my master's. And at that time, I, I felt like, okay, I really wanted to become a professor. I applied for those positions after my my master's degree and I got them Mm. and I got just my first professor position and then I started it and that was not what I expected at all (laughs) it was very it, it was such a disappointing experience and the thing is I loved helping people I loved teaching I loved Mm. being able to support someone Mm-hmm. However, I realized teaching first-year students, 80% of people did not want to be there. Yeah. And I'd love to hear your experience on this too, because <laughs> I I just feel it was just this experience where I'm like, oh my goodness, what am I doing now? And yeah. basically the other professors were trying to tell me, no, like this is just your first year. Like it's yeah. going to be okay. Like yeah. it's it was kind of funny when I think about it now. So I did it for about two years. Yeah. And the second year, it was just worse than the first year. And mm. I started to realize, okay, I need to make a change. Mm-hmm. So the interesting thing is where the astrology component kind of pop comes in. I was going through a very difficult breakup during this time. Mm. And this breakup was very, very shocking to me. You could kind of tell it had this pattern of my dad's death. And I then re-experienced this through my romantic relationship. And I just didn't know what happened. We were together for a year and a half. And I was at a point where I was like, okay, what do I need to do? What am I not seeing right now? Mm. So I found an astrologer. I was already kind of following astrology at that time and I loved it um and I had a birth chart reading with her and it completely changed my life Mm. it was something that was so validating for me to hear that you can kind of see my father figure in a birth chart as well like you get to see a bit of the relationships between your parents if you're if you're asking those questions and when I was asking certain things and kind of leading her into the story of my life she was really just validating and confirming no this is something you should be doing you you need to work for yourself you need to just you know carry on your family in terms of your relationship with your father and he's going to be a very influenced like influential figure in your life and Mm. that was honestly such a breakthrough moment for me Mm -hmm. and also how it corresponded to my romantic relationship too 
so it was so healing at that moment where I was like, okay, I need to study this. I need to do this. Like, yeah, let's, let's, let's dive in. So yeah. I, I started to study with her. She was my mentor for a few years and wow. that was so helpful for me. And at this time I was also writing a poetry book about wow. my breakup because I I had a lot of healing to do and poetry was super, super healing for me. And then I finally realized, okay, I am at a point now where I need to just launch my readings. I needed the money, to be honest, and people kept mm. asking me for readings. So I'm like, I had that fear. I had that imposter syndrome where I'm like, yeah. should I do this? And my, my mentors were like, no, just do it. Like, why not? And I just said, no, I don't, I don't know if I'm ready. Yeah. Um, so it took me a few years and I was studying a lot, but I, I just... I don't know. It it was so hard to make that jump. And what I learned was my Saturn return, which was like a major pivotal point in your life when you're around the ages of 29 to 31. That's when you go through a life-changing event. And for me, I was like, okay, I need to just start this. I need to just yeah. jump in. And it yeah. was honestly the best decision I've made. <laughs> yeah. Um it's been challenging. There's been a lot of ups and downs, but mm. it's been something where I really, really love what I do and helping people through their own journeys of understanding their own story. And mm. then I started to incorporate it with my brand strategy work in terms of my design, in terms of helping people in terms of their business and how they can grow their businesses, how they can establish a voice and a brand for themselves so mm -hmm. I incorporated them both and that's been amazing but yeah yeah that's that's been my journey with that but I kind of love to hear your thoughts on the nine to five as well oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> let's go there <laughs> I do, I'd like to say first though like I think it's amazing that you've you're in this place now where you're really owning your story and living in your purpose and giving back to people and expressing yourself creatively. And you've managed to incorporate all these different parts of you and what you do, which is just, to me, I find so inspiring. And I hope people find that encouraging. If you're feeling at the moment, oh, gosh, is this all there is to life and this is not feeling right, you can change that. You know, um, for me, the nine to five has never felt right. I've always, since I was a kid, wanted to do my own thing, um, you know, and, and had that entrepreneurial itch, I guess you'd, you'd call it. You know, I remember as a little girl, I tell this story quite a bit, you know, I was eight years old, standing in my driveway, you know, trying to sell bookmarks. So me and a friend, they were terrible bookmarks, by the way. We found some scrap paper and we had crayons and like scribbled all over them and cut them out. We didn't even use a ruler, so they're all wonky. <laughs> and we're in the driveway shouting out bookmarks for sale, you know, trying to sell them for 50 cents and no one bought them. Um, and our parents must have felt sorry for us because <laughs> they bought a couple. <laughs> but, you know, like I've always just wanted to be creative and try new things. And, you know, like I remember a bit older in childhood doing a lemonade stand and, you know, all throughout my life, there's been different things. You know, I've done a bit of graphic design stuff and selling stickers and t-shirts and I've done reselling online and, you know, a bit of coaching. Um, so I've always had that, that thing within me 
where I've wanted to do something different. But um, I've also done teaching. So I started in primary and secondary school and for years I was like, yeah, I want to teach, I want to give back, I want to inspire people. I knew I loved teaching and, you know, I started in my full-time role and, oh, it was just awful. I thought, what is this going to be the rest of my life? Like, this is just rubbish. And people would say to me, similar to you, oh, it's your first year, you know, stick it out, it's going to get better. And my soul was just, it felt like it was just disappearing and I was losing who I was. You know, I knew within a few months that it wasn't for me, even though I'd dedicated four years to a degree to become an educator. Um, I knew within a few months, I don't want to do this. But it took me two years to be brave enough to leave. And similar to you, you know, you get to this point, you just have to take a leap of faith and the way I see it is I chose to put myself first by leaving that job. I was brave. I listened to my inner voice. Um, I stopped falling into the people-pleasing trap and worrying about how people would judge me. And I just went, you know what? This doesn't feel right. And deep down I know to do something different. I had no idea what I was going to do. I had no job lined up, nothing. Um I just left. It felt amazing. Like this hands down the best career move I've ever made. Um, And I found myself in youth work doing really meaningful work. And that wasn't a nine to five. That was shift work. And I loved it. I loved the freedom it gave me. But after a while, it still felt like I was stuck in the rat race and in the status quo, which felt really limiting. But funnily enough, after that, I went into a nine to five. Because that's what's expected of you, right? It's really difficult to push back against society's expectations of you. And even loved ones who are close to you might hold those more traditional views. And it's it's hard to go against that and just listen to your intuition. And around that time, my mum got a terminal diagnosis. So the universe really said to me, you know, you better get your shit together. Like <laughs> Life is so fragile like I'd lost my dad and here it was happening again with my mom and I thought fuck I should know better I should know better than putting myself through this and living a life that just has no purpose or joy I stopped working when mum was sick and I got to spend the last six months of her life with her and whilst it was really difficult I have never felt more present and more alive you know I remember people saying to me at that time wow like you look really good, you know, like here I was losing my mother, my, my other parent, such a difficult time, but people, you know, and the person who said this to me was actually someone I wasn't super close with. It was a colleague I'd worked with, but they could pick up somehow on that energy, which I find really interesting. Um, yeah, my journey (laughs) navigating the nine to five, I'm still on it. So what I did after mum died, I kind of, I ended up studying. I did an MBA because someone said to me, oh, I think you'd be good at that. And I went, oh, yeah, okay, cool. Someone believes in me and I did it. And, you know, I did great, similar to you when you were a child. Academically, I did amazingly. I graduated as valedictorian, but that didn't really give me any purpose or meaning or joy. And then, you know, I, I got headhunted into a role at the university doing project management and that felt shit 
And then um, I got into another nine to five at the university, which I'm actually in now. And my boss is amazing and I've been afforded a lot of creativity. But, you know, I've only been in that role just over 12 months. And, you know, whilst it, it's an enjoyable role and I have a supportive boss, it just, it's got to the point where I'm like, I don't do this. I just need to be me. This isn't me. Um, so I'm actually leaving that job at the end of next week and it feels freaking amazing. I don't have a plan, but here I am launching a podcast and I'm just leaning into my creativity. Like I really feel like I'm living in my values right now. Um, creativity is a huge one for me. So yeah, I I don't like the nine to five and here I am trying to break free of it. So I feel like you're ahead of me in that. You've You've found your way out. And I'm kind of at the beginning of that journey and I'm so excited for it. It's terrifying as well, but I'm trying to just, you know, I was saying this to you earlier before we started recording, I'm trying to lean into the joy of it and have fun. It's going to be imperfect. I'm going to fuck up <laughs> um, and it might not turn out, but you know what? I'd rather give it a go. I'm going to regret it if I don't. So that's been my experience of the nine to five um, and I've found it challenging because a lot of the people in my life, they are in the nine to five and they don't get it. They don't really get it. They're like, Rosie, what are you doing? Like you're throwing away a secure job. And I'm like, you don't, you don't understand. And that's okay. But this is what feels right to me. I'd really love to learn more about this birth chart stuff because it's not something I'm super familiar with and I'd love for you to unpack this for our listeners and me because it sounds like that was really a turning point for you and a transformational moment. So tell me more. Yes. Oh, my gosh. And thank you for sharing that too. I just want to say I'm so proud of you because we met a few thank months you. ago and I, I knew that you wanted to just – go do your own thing and mm -hmm. I know it's always scary but it's so exciting yeah. at the same time yeah thank you <laughs> um all right so a birth chart is essentially a snapshot of the sky mm -hmm. at the mm -hmm. exact moment of your birth okay so it kind of shows all of the planets their position and the relationship between the planets and how they kind of correspond to a different area of your life mm -hmm. so you have all the zodiac signs in your birth chart based on it i wish i could show a visual to yeah. the listeners um <laughs> but they could check out like they could check out my work and hopefully they can see the the visual i'll of put it. a link in the description <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> but essentially with a birth chart it's more so this tool of understanding yourself, your life in a completely different way, hmm. your strengths, your challenges, your life path, your career, your relationships, your blind spots, what you're not really seeing. And for me, it was such an eye-opening experience because I know that astrology is not considered a science at all, and I don't claim it to be a science at all, but it it's more so this empathy tool this meaning making tool that i see it as and a lot of other astrologers consider it a language that we can mm. use to really help us discover more about ourselves and what we can learn about our life experience and the beautiful thing about it is it also 
can show you your business birth chart. So if you have a business, Mm. you can get a birth chart for your business to see more information on that. And the other beautiful thing is you can also see the current transits, which just means the current energy in the sky and how it relates to your specific birth chart. So what is currently happening in the sky? Why did I feel horrible in March, but then a lot better in April? Or you can kind of get a sense as to what was happening for you. And then there's always some kind of reason to understand, even if, you know, some people don't believe in it. It's not really a belief system, Mm. right? So it's more of a way of understanding, a way of Mm -hmm. digging deeper and trying to find meaning in the everyday, trying to find Mm. meaning in your life. And I see it as such a beautiful concept to me because it's been so healing for myself and my clients. Like oftentimes my clients that come to me, they're going through major career changes or they're going through relationship breakups or they want to get married or I've had some people who you know were afraid to divorce abusive husbands I've Mm. had some people going through a lot of crisis and luckily I'm trauma-informed for anyone listening I am trauma-informed which is great however I I feel like with those situations I always just hold space for someone and Mm. share what's happening. Ask a lot of questions. A lot of people don't know that, but it's kind of similar to coaching because you're prompting someone to get deeper and dive deeper into their life and like figuring out what they actually want and what's holding them back. And yes, there's helpful, helpful information in terms of like, Oh, like, should I do this or this career or then I'm trying to figure out, okay, so what are you really concerned about? Or which one do you actually want to do more? And it's been a very rewarding experience for myself. It's still something that, you know, I'm slowly building for sure. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. I'm just releasing my first mini course because I'm like, wow. I just need to like put something out there and yeah. test this out and experiment and have fun and help others in some form where they can just learn astrology in a different way. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it's I, yeah. I love that you call it a meaning-making tool. Um, and you know, you're saying that you, you don't see it as a science, and some people don't, you know, believe in it. But I think what's so powerful is if if it can help someone make meaning and and find purpose. Like, wow. It's just, it is transformational. It has been for you and all the clients you've worked with. So it's, thank you for sharing that and helping me understand what it is, because I think we need more people in the world who are, who are, yeah, helping others navigate this. Like life is hard. It's freaking hard. <laughs> you know, whether or not you've been through trauma, um, I'm more of a, you know, I kind of believe that everyone's been through trauma in their own way because it's, it's. You can't compare just because someone hasn't been through, you know, my dad died in a freak accident. Just because someone else hasn't been through that doesn't mean they haven't experienced trauma. And it, I might think that their trauma is trivial, but that's a dangerous game to play. I think we all all have different things. So to help people navigate that and find purpose to me is just the ultimate goal in life. 
And that brings me really nicely to what I'd like us to talk about in this final section is this concept of freedom. You know, this podcast is titled Find Your Freedom, right? This is something I'm passionate about. So can you share with me what does freedom mean to you and what does it look like? Yes. Oh, my goodness. Um, I do want to first say when I mention astrology as well, it's been around for thousands of years. Mm. And I think we often forget that. It used to be taught in universities too, but yeah, the, right. the, the church did not like that. The church was right. like, this is too much power. <laughs> like mm-hmm. it was it was only reserved for royalty at wow. that time. So only kings and queens would get their birth chart read because you have to make it by hand. And I feel like it's only now making a comeback mm. in terms of, people because they start to see it as okay wait no this is more of a way of understanding myself in a deeper way like this Mm -hmm. is beautiful Mm -hmm. so going into your question of freedom I see freedom as having choices Mm. having the ability to choose the life you want and to have the ability to find yourself Mm. I really see it as this beautiful way of living life of getting to do what you love and Mm -hmm. also being with the people you love and having a good balance to -hmm. your life which Mm -hmm. I would say the nine to five can be very difficult for that because, (laughs) right? Like it's because then you don't see the people you love as much as you want to, right? Right. So the people you see most would be your coworkers or Mm -hmm. your bosses. And Mm -hmm. that's something I realized when I'm working for myself it's been a very difficult up and down journey, especially with finances. Mm. However, it's been the sense of finding the inner trust right. to keep going. Mm-hmm. I feel like that was me trying to cultivate the feeling of freedom of if I can just believe in myself so much and just trust that the universe has my back, then that's that's what's freedom. That's what is freedom to me personally. Like mm. I just want the freedom to do what I love, to have my basic needs met, mm-hmm. to really be able to enjoy time. Like the time is a huge thing, I would say. Yeah. Time for me is everything. Like if I know that I can have the time to spend time with my mom, to spend time with my friends, to spend Mm -hmm. time even just by myself if I need to rest, if I need a mental health day. Yeah. I think that's huge. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I'd love to hear your perspective on freedom. Yeah, your explanation was beautiful and I I think I – I align with a lot of what you're saying and I love that you're talking about this concept of inner trust, you know, both in yourself and the universe. 
Um, I know for me, when I put myself first, which is to me about believing in myself and, and what's important to me, great things happen every single time. When I'm all caught up in society's expectations and worried about what others will think, it, it never works out well. It just doesn't. <laughs> so becoming aware of that for me has been so important. And another thing you mentioned was this concept of time, and that's huge for me. You know, you and I are, you know, so aware of the limited time we have on earth and how out of control, out of our control that is. It, it is. We don't have control over that. So for me, it is so important to be purposeful with my time. And I've never felt like I can do that in a nine to five because like you say, I'm spending most of my time at work with colleagues and not the people I truly care about. It also um, restricts the time I can put into the things I love doing, like being creative, doing this podcast, converting my van. I, you know, build random wood projects that are never square and are terrible, but I have fun, right? And that's something I want to spend time doing or walking my puppy. I want to spend time with her and I want to spend time with my partner and travel. So freedom to me is being able to be more purposeful with my time. And something I really want to touch on with you um, which I hope is valuable to people listening who maybe are grappling with fear, right? You mentioned finances, which is a very real, that's a big thing, right? We, we do need that. We need money to be able to, to meet our basic needs. It is scary, but I, I think people should begin to question whether or not a nine to five is actually that safe. We always see it as the safe option and it's secure. Is it really? I mean, we're seeing all these layoffs and you are relying on somebody else for your money, totally relying on them. It is out of your control. It really is. So I think people should question their, their existing beliefs around that and that's hard to overcome, but I think definitely question that. But what advice would you give to people who are really just grappling with this? Like they, they think, okay, I need to leave the nine to five. I, I, you know, I want to live a more purposeful life, but they're just hedging and they're scared. What would you say to these people to help them make that next big decision? Mm. Yeah, I, I think I would say a few things and mm -hmm. I want to go back to what you were talking about in terms of you know, we both have experienced the death of, you know, you both, your parents, me, my father. I've had quite a few godparents and all my grandparents mm. pass away right after my father too, which I wow. haven't mentioned, but it, it was just death after death after death where I was just like, okay, this is supposed to teach me something. I, I don't mm. know what it is, but for me, it's like life is short. Mm -hmm. things can change in one day right anything can change in one day it could change in an hour mm -hmm. i've right and i i can prove that because that one hour birth chart reading changed my life and yeah i've seen that happen for some of my clients too where they've changed careers they've left horrible you know marriages that were quite abusive and they were just afraid of leaving and I think when someone 
is debating if they should leave their nine to five. And if they're stressed about money, I'm still, to be honest, I'm still healing my money wounds. I'm still healing a mm. lot of generational trauma. Right. I'm still healing so much. So I don't want to <laughs> claim to be an expert at all because I'm in this place where I've learned that money will come and go. Mm-hmm. And I trust it to come back to me because it always has. Even if there's been dips, it's it always comes back around. And I'm getting into a place now. I'm 31 as well. And I'm getting into a place now where I'm starting to see there is a way for me to build it to be a bit more stable for myself. And mm-hmm. I hired a money coach as well. So I'm working with a coach right now. And Mm -hmm. that's exciting to me because then I get to coach my clients and mentor them in terms of that process too. Mm -hmm. So I'm very excited for this. And it's taught me so much already. It's only been two weeks and it's felt like, okay, if someone's really afraid of leaving their nine to five, I first want to ask them like, okay, how much money would make them feel safe in terms of leaving? Like if they have like a savings with a few months, do they have like a secure backup? Like how much money would make them feel safe? Mm -hmm. What would a plan make them feel safe? Would just an understanding of can, can you go part-time first? If that's something you want more. However, sometimes you just have to do it. Like, even, like, honestly, I was forced into freelance. I had zero, like, I don't, I didn't have much money. I had, like, maybe a few hundred, but, like, maybe less than a hundred at that time when wow. I was forced to freelance. And yeah, that was terrifying because I had student debts. I had a lot of debt. And I'm still paying back some debt. Like, I finished my student debt, which is amazing. But um, <laughs> lucky, lucky in Canada. I don't know about the States, to be honest. But, like, I've been lucky in that regard but i i've realized i always saw debt as this very negative thing as well too mm. and i felt like oh my gosh this is horrible but then the more finance books i've read so i would highly recommend reading a lot of money books to anyone yeah. mm-hmm. the more i've read on money mindset books and abundance mindset books the more i've realized actually rich people use a lot of debt to mm-hmm. get what they want and mm-hmm to have the capability to invest right so debt shouldn't be seen as a negative thing and Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. i think it's honestly building that self-trust muscle of like trusting yourself enough to know that you will always have your own back you will always be able to get yourself out of a difficult situation Mm -hmm. what is the worst case scenario in terms of that, like, can you lean on a partner? Can you lean on a friend? Can you lean on someone that you care about if things get bad? Or worst case scenario, you go you go back to the nine to five right, after a exactly. year, right? Like you yeah. don't you don't need You're to You're no like, worse off than you were. Yeah. Ex- exactly, right? So it's like you need to take a jump because I think the younger you are, it's easier mm-hmm. to build your growth mindset muscle. Like yeah. I I feel like you can still do that. Of course, when you're older, you can still do that when you're in like 90. I don't like I yeah. I don't think there's a like age limit, but I still feel like when you're younger and you want to build a life of freedom, 
this is the time to build it. Like mm -hmm. right now is the time. Yeah. And I think money is so important because it's, I know it's been one of the biggest roadblocks for me and it's very much this money mindset that you have to get over. And one tip I would give to people is actually, actually track how much money you're spending. What are you actually spending and on what and how much do you need to be comfortable? And that's going to look different for everyone. What's comfortable for me is different to what's comfortable for someone else. But what is the bare minimum you need to live that that life where you're you're comfortable? You know, it might mean giving up some luxuries, right? But what are you willing to compromise on? And that's going to give you the number that you need to earn. And then at least you've got a figure in your mind. And like you said, you can drop back to part-time and ease into it. And that's a path I've I've tried. And I'm kind of with you. I, I'm the kind of person who just needs to jump in, like sink or swim, let's go. That's how I respond best. But I acknowledge that not everybody has that risk appetite or the ability to cope with that shock. But I think it is so important to push out of your comfort zone because if you keep doing what you've always done, and this is oversaid and it's a bit of a cliche, but if you keep doing what you've always done, nothing's going to change. And if you're not happy and you just stay in the same job, what are you doing? You have to try something different. You're going to have to take a bit of a risk. So I really encourage people to do that. And if fear about money is holding you back, begin to educate yourself and know that it is possible. There's a lot in life that is out of our control, as you and I know um, really well. But there's things we can control and that we can make decisions about. So take control, you know, over what you can. I think it can feel very overwhelming sometimes when you're unhappy in your job or in life and you feel like you're just being led down this path and you, it's out of your control. But there are things you can do to help get you on the right path. And a question I would pose to, pose to people is not the cost of trying something new, which is often what people say, like the risk of trying something new. What's the cost of doing what you're doing right now? What would the cost have been if you stayed in a nine to five? What would the cost be for me if I wasn't brave enough to quit mine? I think that's something people should really think about. Are there any parting words you'd like, like to live with people before we sign out? I would say learn to really deeply love yourself mm. and do that every day. Mm -hmm. Do self-care, self-love practices every day. That's going to be so helpful. That's going to be so healing. Mm -hmm. And trust the process. Right. It doesn't have to look perfect. Mm. It, it can be messy. It can be vulnerable. It can be emotional. But share who you are in the most authentic way mm -hmm. and you're going to meet some amazing, amazing people and one of them is going to be yourself. Right. Love that. One of the amazing people you're going to meet is yourself. I love that. that. What a powerful message. And on that note, I want to say thank you so much. This has been an amazing conversation. I've learned so much. And I hope people who listen, who are listening have learned a lot too. 
Um, and if anyone's interested, Tati, in finding out more about what you do and perhaps using your services, where could they find you? Yes, you can find me on Instagram at Tati Petkovic. You can also find me on my website, which is moonsign.ca. Mm-hmm. And you can also find me on YouTube, which is Moonsign Insight. Mm-hmm. And you can also find me on TikTok as well. So cool. yeah. Tati Petkovic on TikTok. <laughs> Perfect. And I'll put links to all of that in the description um, in case people forget or don't have a pen to write that down. Um, thank you so much for this chat and let's talk soon. Yes. Thank you so much. Thank you. If this episode resonated with you at all, could I please ask that you share it with a friend who you think could get value from it? And whilst you're doing that, make sure you follow and subscribe to the podcast so that you never miss another episode. And whilst you're following or subscribing, please leave us um, a rating, preferably five stars, and also a written review. Doing each of these things is going to help this podcast reach more people and impact more lives, which is at the end of the day is what we're here to do. Thank you so much. I appreciate you. Remember, you matter, you're worth it, and you are so, so capable. Take care of yourself, and I'll see you next week.